And then as you go forth, if it works, if you're seeing conversions, you should keep adding the more you learn to that avatar, uh, learn the nuances of who they are as much as possible, because that's only going to make your marketing more crisp, right? It speaks to them more that way. Bonjour, bonjour. Welcome to everyonehatesmarketers.com. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. EveryoneHatesMarketer.com is a podcast for digital marketers who are sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I interview no-nonsense marketers who are not afraid to cut through the bullshit and say things as they are. So during this show, we learn how to get more visitors, more leads, more customers, more long-term profit by using good marketing, by treating people the way we like to be treated. Uh, head over to everyonehatesmarketers.com to subscribe to the email list. Uh, we'll, be, we'll notify you before anybody else of our future guests. Uh, you'll also help us to come up with great questions for the future guests. Uh, you'll also get access to uh, the numbers in terms of number of listens and downloads of the podcast. And also, quite simply, to have great one-to-one conversation if you need any help. Welcome to episode number 13 of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Uh, today, I'm interviewing Greg Elfrink. He's a copywriter and a content marketing manager for Empire Flippers. Empire Flippers is a marketplace to sell or buy websites. So here's the main thing you're going to learn today. You're going to learn how to create what Greg calls avatars to complement your content marketing efforts or your marketing in general. So how to turn the conversation you have with customers into avatars of, or group of people so that you can better you know, serve them. There are other things we're going to talk about in this episode, including the fact that Greg used to work at least 100 hours a week. He used to work in oil rigs in Alaska and also freelance on the side as a copywriter. And he was, as he said, burning out for years almost. And he managed to get a huge opportunity at Emperor Flippers and he's much happier now. And we'll talk about other things related to marketing and the fact that, for example, you should read more fiction than just business books and also the difference between short and long content and its impact. There are plenty of other things we discussed, so as usual, have a listen and let me know what you think. Hi, Greg. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me on. No problem at all. So my first question to you is, what is better? Is it to work in the oil fields of uh, Alaska or to be (laughs) part of uh, Empire Flippers traveling East Asia? I think the answer is pretty clear on that one. Alaska, <laughs> it's all, right? Obviously, obviously, no, no <laughs> way, man. I, I'm back here visiting for the holidays, you know, and uh, still as cold as I remember it, I'm, I'm missing my home in Vietnam, and uh, uh, it's just it's just cool working with Empire Flippers because it's like uh, always been kind of a dream of mine, and I used to read be these people's blogs about this internet lifestyle was on oil rigs, and now I've you know, hung out with those people. Like some of them even asked me for advice, which is pretty surreal. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's been great, man. I've never been to Alaska, but I know of Alaska from seeing a few documentaries with my fiance. There's a few like about those families living in the bush, living in like oh, yeah. the remote part of Alaska. But you're from uh, Anchorage, which is a big city there, right? Yeah, pretty much everyone that's in Alaska lives in Anchorage. <laughs> it's yeah. like uh, two two thirds of the population. Not that we have much to begin with. Uh, I think there's still <laughs> less than a million people in Alaska. But uh, I, I, have, I have friends who are bush people. Uh, in fact, there's a town I go to. It's uh, a lot of them go to. It's called Talkeetna, the 
official legal mayor there's a cat <laughs> so <laughs> oh, that's that's this city i've heard of this story yeah yeah um yeah. and yeah the, the bush people are not i i've read about anchorage that it's one of the largest city in the u.s by square miles like it's the largest in terms of uh yeah, bigger than an entire state of delaware yeah <laughs> by, it's insane. Uh, you know landmass not many people but uh. <laughs> so yeah it's pretty cool there and so i'm interested after like in 2005, so more than, yeah, almost 11, 11 years ago, the 12 years ago now, because it's New Year, you were <laughs> working real estate, right? I was never doing that full time. It was always part time with my dad. Uh, I'm actually surprised you brought that up. Not many people know that. But yeah, I, I worked with him on in his business. His business is still going good. I was still working in the oil field as well. Or actually, no, 2005, I was still in high school. So I was just working part time with him. Then 2007, I stopped working with them and when the oil field for the most part every now and then i'd still help out right as a family business with this real estate company so sure and so tell me more about the oil field stuff i mean we're not going to discuss about oil extraction <laughs> or whatever too much but i'm just curious about <laughs> what does it entail uh well i did several different jobs uh i could talk a, a long time about it i'll try to be brief <laughs> but uh uh my very first job was uh, I think called being a sample catcher, which meant I went to this room called the pits. There's full pits and there's like mud everywhere coming over these shakers and the ground that was coming over the shakers or from you know thousands of feet down. I'd catch the sample and wash it and uh, then give it to the geologist and the mud logger and they could analyze where where we were. Uh, that was my job straight out of high school and uh, all my friends were like, oh man, you got that golden handcuff job now the gap man they're paying me nine dollars an hour <laughs> but uh the crazy thing about that job but it was a very easy job but uh i had to do like two months of training for it where they showed me all of these like videos of people dying on oil rigs and like the guy who had a similar job to me same age he actually had like the lower body of his half cut off uh through an you know freak accident someone left a plate open and you know he was getting paid nine dollars an hour too so I was like, man, maybe, maybe this shouldn't be a long-term career for me. This is kind of, this guy's scary. The, the first time I stepped in the pits, the pit watcher looked at me. And there's like, you saw one of these graded floorings, and there's all these gyrating like augers everywhere underneath the flooring. And he looked at me like, man, are you all right? Like, yeah, yeah, just give me a, just give me a second. <laughs> just give me a second today, just what I'm gonna do now. <laughs> yeah, let me get used to this real quick. But yeah, yeah I, I did a bunch of different stuff. I actually ended up. Right before I with Empire Flippers, I was working in town and I studied the magnetics of the earth while like as the rigs were drilling. And so I'd be monitoring these oil rigs around the world. And every day I would get an email about the weather on the sun because it actually affected my job, which I thought was pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, pretty boring job, but I loved getting that email. I just thought it was cool to know what the sun's up to. So it's the, the, the like the warmer the sun is. Or the what's the impact there? What's the correlation between uh, the magnetic storms? So like, uh, All right. the sun would have solar flares, and the flare would hit the Earth, and you know, Earth has like a diurnal pole, and all that uh, magnetism that the solar flare causes go to the very north, which is you know where we are in Alaska, and that would affect the rigs. You know, you think your rigs your rigs drilling left, but it's actually drilling right, but you can't tell because of the solar flare. So I I would correct for that for the rigs so they well, know where they're actually going. It's this kind of stuff that you don't know until you're really drilling into the industry, uh, if I have to say. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. 
So I'm, I'm asking for all the listeners out there, they're probably wondering why are we talking about that, but it's always interesting to have the backstory of everybody of anybody working in any industry, because I think it explains a lot about why they're doing what they're doing today. So my guess is that from the awful weather you had in Alaska, and <laughs> the, the job that was pretty dangerous and made you realize that there was probably something better out there, you started to look into online marketing, right? Yeah, and I failed uh, many years, man. Uh, seven months, or uh, I guess like five months before Empire Flippers hired me, I actually had given up. Like I was just writing content, like really cheap PBN content, a private blog network for your audience is an SEO ranking tool. Uh, uh, basically fake sites that the SEOs would pay me to populate with content. But uh, yeah, I, I I didn't think I would ever actually succeed at that point. And one of my clients, because I was working like uh, about 86, 84 to 100 hours a week in the oil field. And then I would work an extra 20 hours a week as a freelance writer, writing for like a penny and a half or a word. And uh, I was able to do like 25 to 30 bucks an hour because it was fairly fast. But, uh, but yeah, that actually led me into doing a lot of big things. And one of my clients <laughs> told me, like, man, if I was you, I'd be so burned out. Like, man, I've been burned out for years, but I don't see anything we want, like, what I could do. But uh, that's when I saw the uh, job opportunity with Empire Flippers. And by that time, I had so much content. And uh, I'd written a copywriting book for a client. I uh, started writing these huge guest posts for some pretty well-known marketers. And my little freelance writing business actually took off in ways I didn't think it would. <laughs> So what do you mean by that? How did it take off? Uh, you know, I, like I said, I, I was, I'd pretty much given up on the idea of ever being one of those guys, like a digital nomad or whatever. And uh, just had this gritty determination to make like an extra 200, 500 bucks a month from writing. And uh, I started to, and then my clients were really happy with me because a writer at that level, is kind of like herding cats. So it's really hard to get the writer to like commit to actually put out the content and all that stuff. And I was writing a ton. Like one of my clients uh, was doing like 25 to 30 articles a week for him just on plumbing, you know, on plumbers. It was like, that was rough. <laughs> but, uh, wow. Uh, I had this one guy I, I wrote about roof shingles in Perth. I don't know how many different times. <laughs> like I, don't know, I came up with so many different angles about roof shingles. <laughs> but uh, this all led into me getting these bigger clients like uh this woman who had an entrepreneur's group, specifically for a woman, she had me write a copywriting book. And then uh, a big marketer in the uh, SEO space, uh, he's like an SEO training he guy. He hired me to ghostwrite a bunch of content for him. And, I, I, you know, it just led to one thing after another. And uh, when, when Empire Flippers hired me, uh, one of these other guys, they were right on the verge of hiring me as well, <laughs> which was, was just crazy. So I could have either gone to... Uh, potentially Pennsylvania or Southeast Asia. And obviously, Southeast Asia definitely sounded a lot cooler. <laughs> so <laughs> I made that little leap of faith to uh, leave the oil field and go full-time as a writer. But uh, yeah, small things, man. Uh, the power of small things led to this very huge change in my life. So it's really cool. 100, like 100 to 120 hours a week of work is insane. And I don't think yeah. you should tell... To should encourage anybody to do the same, but I guess you had the drive to do it to to change to change something, and and you kept at it. And fair play to you for for doing it, because now you're in a much better situation. So I think it's a good lesson uh, for anybody yeah. out there. You know, if you want something, you, you just go for go all out. You know, uh, when I put in the application for Empire Flippers, one of the things it said was like, you know, hey, you know, this isn't just like a gap year job. You sometimes you have to work 
12 hours a day. So on my YouTube video, because they had me do a YouTube video for the, uh, for the application, in the video, I said that 12 hours a day sounds fantastic. That's four <laughs> hours less than I'm working right now. <laughs> so, wow. Uh, it's changed my life, though, man. It's been, it's been really good. Um, so I guess I have a mini, I have a few questions on marketing because you, you pointed a few things. The first, the fact that you were a dark side marketer, like you are on the dark side of the, of the force, uh, and also that <laughs> oh, the, the PBNs. <laughs> yeah. And that you wrote for very, very specific subjects. And I think that's gonna, I'm gonna change. There's a few questions I plan to ask you, but I think I'm gonna ask you other questions now. Uh, but going back a little <laughs> bit to one thing. Let's move on to marketing and, and, and what you specialize in, which is, you know, inbound marketing and copywriting and getting people to, to go to your website and do what you want them to do. And um, Michelin or Michelin, I don't know how you pronounce it in the US, you know, is a tire company and uh, they are from my hometown called Clermont, you know, Clermont-Ferrand in France. Mm. And they came up with uh, the red guide, the Guide Rouge, more than a century ago. And it was basically a guide for cyclists to uh, tell them about the nearest stations and the nearest places where they can find tires or refreshment or whatever. And they were giving this guide for free to all cyclists. And then they realized that car drivers that was starting to be popular enough in the early 20th century in France needed this information as well. There was literally like maybe 15 petrol stations in, in France and it was expanding. So oh, wow. they distributed a free guide as well, right? And this led to the success they had after that to be one of the biggest tire companies in the world. And not a lot of people know that, but it's also the Michelin guide, the restaurant guide is also from this tire company. It's, it's not two separate companies. It's actually the same thing. So what I'm leading to is inbound marketing or whatever you want to call it has been there for centuries. I mean, people, you know, uh, got in touch with companies when, you know, they needed something and, and help, helping customer is nothing new. So do you think? that inbound marketing is just a made-up word for something that is already existing, or do you think it's genuinely a new thing? Well, I think what Michelin was doing was inbound marketing. You know, I think uh, people bandy it around a lot more than they used to, uh, but it is, like you said, it's been around forever. I mean, direct mail in a lot of ways is... Uh, you know, a more basic form of content marketing. Then there's permission-based marketing back with like the days of newsletters, like uh, printed newsletters, those things and all that, all that stuff. So yeah, inbound marketing, I'd say is real. I'd say uh, it's a buzzword, <laughs> kind of like uh, content marketing, or like content marketing that can mean so many different things or uh, the other buzzword that's used so much in the industry. You know, if uh, someone asks you how to write great, you know, what what is great content? Like, oh, just, you know, be, write valuable content like well what does that mean yeah <laughs> but uh i do think inbound marketing is a real thing it's obviously super powerful the thing that's changed today that wasn't there back you know in those days when they were handing out physical newsletters is uh pretty much every entrepreneur can do it now like your local dentist can do it, it i mean all the tools are just totally accessible now yeah and i think that's the key so you mentioned you mentioned that you were like writing some dark stuff uh <laughs> i think they prefer gray hat <laughs> yeah 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 it's i call it bullshit but hey uh, whoever wants no but uh so when was that when did you stop doing it when was the time where you were doing those this work uh this was probably started almost right around this time last year so uh i built up my portfolio based off that and then those people were, were agency owners and uh, some of them had 
you know, other businesses as well. They had me start writing money content and uh, from money content led me by money content. I mean, on their actual money sites. So like their customers, plumbing sites and stuff like that, or uh, their affiliate sites, whatever they had, I'd write their copies and uh, eventually wrote some sales letters and uh, then wrote the book on, on copywriting. Uh, you know, all this stuff I've known for years, just I never really applied myself with that burning determination like until that happened. But, uh, but yeah, I, I'd say I started uh, the freelance career probably about last year around this time. And so why do you think that many companies still today are like paying other people to write like, you know, paying like $30 or $20 for an article that is just mediocre to not use uh, another word. <laughs> why why so do you think it's still 20... the case? Uh, well, it depends on what they're you doing. First of all, I'm hoping that even if you're spending $20 on a piece of content, hopefully it's good piece of content. Like, uh, you know, image roundup posts, I, a $20 image roundup post probably won't be that bad because there's not, there's like maybe 300 words on there. You know, <laughs> it's all images. But, uh, so hopefully they're investing in good writers and if you find a writer that's cheap, hey, that's good too for you. But, uh, people are investing in content mainly because it's hard to write content. Like even simple content, uh, most people just can't do it very well. I mean, they could do it if they put in the time, right? If they uh, learn the skill set and start writing a lot, but a lot of people just don't want to do. I have so many friends in the digital community, software, uh, agency owners, they all just hate the idea of writing content. Uh, ironically, SEOs, I think, hate it the most. <laughs> it's, you know, they use it the most out of anyone. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, Mike, yes, you can find good, good writer for like $30 or $20 an article. Um, but I always had a preference for like long, helpful content that you couldn't live without once you discovered it. So there's this good blog, you probably came across it called, uh, you know, wait, but why? Oh, uh, that's my favorite blogger. Yeah. I actually just got him uh, to agree to be on the Empire Flippers podcast uh, later this month. So. Nice. Well, yeah, that's... yeah, I'm a huge fan of him. So this is, I mean, yes, it's tough for a lot of companies to produce this type of content because it's 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 just one of the best type of article you can read. But I guess this should be the aim for everybody when they choose to write content and they understand why they are writing content. So content, as you say, content marketing doesn't mean anything unless you know why you're doing it. But let's say they want to write content to create awareness for their business and be discovered by more people uh, online. Then this type of content to me is just, just so much more valuable than any crappy 300 words article that are clearly written <laughs> for Google, not for, for humans. I think it depends on your application, right? Like if I'm writing a very, if, I, if I'm writing about cryogenics, like wait, but why one of his posts, like I could see that a 300 word article, like, okay, well, that's not going to be that interesting to me. But at the same token, you know, if I'm researching uh, like a vacuum cleaner or something like that, I'm probably not looking for a 15,000 word post that goes in depth on studies. I'm just looking for like, well, what do most people think is good, right? So it depends on the your it depends on your function. If you have a you know a SaaS product of some kind, your content marketing might just be your facts, your frequently asked questions. That's a very powerful piece of content uh, for your customers. So it really depends on the application, in my opinion, on what kind of content you need. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I, I'm teasing you a little bit. And uh, yes, 
I think the aim is to give the most helpful answer in the quickest amount of time possible, right? And sometimes, exactly as you said, there are some very complex subjects where you need to spend a lot of time on. Um, yeah, exactly. And for sales copy, you need to answer every single objections that customer have or may have, and therefore your 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 sales copy can be quite long as well because you need to to make sure that every single objection is answered. But if you're looking for, let's say, if you want to know if it's Thursday today. And you don't need, you don't <laughs> you're need. You're not reading the 5,000 word article. Yeah, exactly. Probably, you might be. You might but if you're you, crazy, but yeah. You're the 1%. <laughs> Normal people just need to know, or yes. So point taken. Anything that you see online or in marketing in general that boils, that boils your blood? Uh, well, I kind of mentioned it earlier. Uh, whenever I see someone teaching about content marketing and they say, just, you know, add value, like, what do you mean by that? <laughs> like, give me, give me some specific stuff. What are you talking about? Like, you know, break it down for me. But you, I see these people who are, uh, you know, getting a lot. Of, and I saw this before I could join Empire Flippers. And in fact, I, I bought some, some of their courses probably back in the heyday, back in like 2007, 2008. I was first learning this stuff and there's just nothing in there. They just say could produce value. And, uh, Pretend as if the, if they said it over and over again that their course is valuable, you know. <laughs> like, so uh, I, I I'm jaded by content marketers that teach b uh, about content marketing for the most part. <laughs> yeah, it's like there's there's some good stuff out there. Don't get me wrong. There's some really great content marketers out there that give great advice about things, especially in the SEO world. Like I'm a huge fan of Brian Dean from Backlinko. I think he has some of the best content on there about backlinking and. You know, SEO is very much related to content marketing. So he'd be like a content marketer teaching about content marketing that I really love. But uh, yeah, most of them, not so much. <laughs> so I'm going to come back to this, like this value thing, because I, I think we can dig deeper into how to do that for any listeners that are listening to the show step by step, how to actually find value. So I think this is one of the questions I'm going to ask you in the next few minutes. But going back to the Internet, the state of Internet as of today, I remember vividly the first time I used Internet. I remember vividly the, the noise of the modem 56K when I was, you know, trying to connect. <laughs> Good old days, man. <laughs> uh, and it's a, mo it's a, it's a memory that a lot of people have in our generation, at least. But I think there is a lot of bad things happening on the internet at the minute. There's a lot of pollution. There's a lot of ads that are just not useful. A lot of articles that are written by people who clearly don't know what they're doing. A lot of mm, yeah. fake, fake news and bad advice. So what do you think marketers? and people in general could do to make the internet a better place? Well, first, you know, for all of our friends out there owning fake news websites, you should stop that. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> but, uh, you know, content marketing is a very simple thing, man. Like, uh, it, it's there to solve a problem, and you're going to do it. You should research it and, you know, be honest with your with your people. And sometimes that means writing something that may not necessarily reflect well upon what you're trying to sell. Maybe, maybe you find something that's like bad, like, well, talk about it. Because if you talk about it in your marketing, at least they know. And also by talking about it, it can actually increase your conversions too. <laughs> so it pays to be ethical. You know, go figure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm not sure how to really curb the pollution. I actually, I actually wrote an analysis on... Uh, the fake news sites for empire flippers. And basically I don't see how Google or Facebook could really stop them. I mean, right after Facebook came out uh, against the, 
like just two weeks later, I got tricked into think, into a fake news thing because Facebook got tricked where their alert system said that there was a bomb that went off in Bangkok. Like, oh, shit, my friends in Bangkok hope they're OK. And I you know, posted this up like, are you guys all right? And like, that is fake news. Like, oh, great. <laughs> I fell for it because of Facebook's alert system. But uh, I, I hopefully that goes away. But I'm not sure if it will. Yeah. Which is sad. It sure. Is, it is quite sad. So. Let's move on to something a little bit more positive, right? I like to get, <laughs> like when I listen to podcasts and read articles and view videos, I always almost like around marketing, I always feel like, okay, but give me more. You've started to talk about something interesting, but now I need a step-by-step. Give me concrete, detailed action. So in this podcast, that's what we're trying to do. So I had questions written, but I'm completely going to forget about them because we talked about two <laughs> things that I think are more valuable. So the first thing is, and you said it right, a lot of people say, you know, you just need to write content or produce content that is, that is valuable. We all know that it means nothing. It could mean everything. So let's take the example <laughs> of, uh, let's say we are a small SaaS startup. We have like five or six employees. We have a good product that is being used by a few people. We are on the brinch of, of finding product market fit and we, are, we need to move on to, you know, to scale a little bit and growing and get more leads in, right? So the first step, from attracting visitors to the website. What does it mean to create valuable content for this part of the funnel? Well, that'd be the top of the funnel uh, kind of content. So there's, you know, uh, Ryan Dice talks about Digital Marker, which I'm a fan of uh, top of funnel, middle of funnel, and bottom of funnel. The, where you're getting the leads in, that's top of funnel stuff. Uh, so for a SaaS, it depends on your product, right? So uh, you want to build, build awareness around it. Uh, you want to your, your top of funnel content should be the awareness piece. So this is like your outreach stuff. You're doing guest posts. You're writing content that solves this problem or how to solve the problem rather, where your software is the solving p- portion of it. Right. The top of funnel should have some kind of lead uh, lead magnet, which would be the middle funnel uh, component. So say your business was about like like Jungle Scout with their uh tool that you can research different Amazon products for Amazon FBA owners. Uh, it could be a lead magnet about like, here is the cheat sheet on like products you need to avoid, <laughs> you know, something like that. And uh, th- to get the people to opt into that, they could have a huge blog post about like, you know, the common things that people love, like the thing love to see on them. And then uh, the pop up or whatever they have, the sidebar comes in to, advertise that mofu piece of content but yeah top of funnel stuff would be definitely awareness so i'd be going to guest posts like we just did a guest post uh, for empire flippers in the uh personal finance sector which you know they probably don't hear a lot about internet marketing or uh especially not about acquiring online businesses so i wrote a very introductory piece to the concept of buying an online business i just did another one similar to that huffington post that it breaks down like the process for a beginner, right? Because that's who I'm talking to. So top of funnel should be talking to, you know, whoever your customer avatar is and getting them interested, making them aware of the problem if they're not aware of the problem and getting them interested enough in who you are to come back for that second piece, which would be hopefully inside your funnel. So I'm going to stop you right there. So you said two very important things. The first thing is, you need to nail your customer avatar, your customer barrier persona. So you need to really know who you're talking to. And that's marketing 101, but so many businesses don't even do it. So 
first thing, let's you, if if you have a SaaS startup and you've been you know you've been selling the product to a few people now and you start to have a decent idea of who your target market is, then you need to really drill into who they are and the key problems they have, exactly as you mentioned. And exactly as you mentioned as well, the first step should be make them aware that they have a problem, right? Yeah. Because sometimes they don't know that they have a problem. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, it's, I'd say the majority of people don't know that they have a problem. They're like, wait, I can do that? Like, you know, there was a guy who was uh, talking about, um, I'm trying to remember the SaaS product now, but it basically refunded money uh, something like that, or like on supplies, and most of the uh, suppliers or the people who own these businesses didn't realize they could ask for a refund. They were like losing all this money, <laughs> like they didn't know this opportunity existed for them to get this refunded product money back, and you know, they, they just didn't know what they didn't know, right? So, yeah, like his top of funnel marketing was great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> but that's it. So. I mean, there is this good book called The the Brain Audit. We'll put all the links, by the way, and all the articles that we are mentioning in the show notes. But The Brain Audit is basically talking about your customer brain is like a conveyor belt, you know, in the airport where you have mm. like luggages coming in. And they have problems in their mind, right? But the only problems they will look in solving right now are the most painful, severe, you know, problems they have on top of this conveyor belt. And yeah, top of mind. Your goal, if this your problem is not in, on top of their mind, in top of this conveyor belt, your role is to make them understand that it should be. It should be top of their mind. It should be more important than any other. And they should solve it right now. So top of the funnel is that. So making sure that they know they have a problem, talking about this problem. So really draining down into make solving, helping solving this problem. You don't at this stage, you don't talk about your solution just just yet, right? Or you start talking about it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you can talk about your solution, like uh, about using, in the Jungle Scout example, you might be talking about researching products, right? And you ha in that content, you have links to Jungle Scout, so they know what the solution is, and now they're aware of the problem as well. And the hope is that your top of funnel content added enough value, <laughs> there's that word, to make them interested in the solution, or at least going to the next stage, which is like the courting stage, right? So there's like the awareness, like, hey, I'm here, then the courting stage, which is like your lead funnel uh, and lead nurturing and all those systems in place, like email follow-up and all that good stuff that sees if you guys are a good fit for each other. And hopefully if you did your avatar research well, they'll convert. And that's another very important piece. So the top of the funnel, it's basically the why, why you should care about this problem. And, and let's talk about the solution a little bit. Middle of the funnel is how, okay, I know I have a problem now. Your solution seems to be interesting. Give me more, yeah. right? So you said something and I just forgot it literally 10 seconds ago. Uh, <laughs> yes, the That's right the fit. Creative people, right? <laughs> so, so, so your product shouldn't be for everybody. It should be for your buyer persona, for the, the, the few people you've identified. And yes, it should be for... It should be, is it the right fit? You should ask yourself the question. You shouldn't try to get any leads possible, right? Uh, absolutely. There's an old quote. I don't know who said it, but uh, if, if you please, if you try to please everyone, you end up pleasing no one. And that's super true with marketing. Uh, you should go for your for a very specific person. We have very specific people that we look for in our business that we want. We have several different people. Uh, you can have multiple people you're looking for. But you need to know which one of those people you are speaking to and what piece of content. 
So I, I'm not going to give someone who is investing seven figures in SaaS business a guide on how to split test their AdSense site, right? Like that wouldn't make any sense. <laughs> like, what is this? You know, uh, so you want to make sure you're even if you have multiple avatars you're going after that each piece of content is tailored to just that specific person in that piece of content. Avatar sounds so much cooler than buyer persona, by the way. I'm probably going to ask, <laughs> probably going to start using Avatar. It sounds like World of Warcraft type of type of stuff. <laughs> so, okay, let's be more specific. So top of the funnel, you're being valuable by teaching them about the problem they have, how much it costs them and why they should solve it. Middle of the funnel, you're teaching them uh, whether or not they are the right fit uh, for your solution and you give them more in-depth knowledge about your solution and how it works. So is it the best scenario? Is it to literally create one funnel for one avatar or buyer persona you have? Usually I'd say yes. Now there could be a certain point to, depending on how big your lead nurturing is, where all those avatars end up in the same place. So if someone comes to like Empire Flippers, they're brand new to online businesses, they might start off on a track where we teach them about the concept, right? But they might end up eventually getting to the point where now they are knowledgeable enough to be all, being included in everything that we send out to all of those people, you know, about like much more advanced things that now they can understand because now they have a good foundation. So it really depends on who your avatars are. It's a very multifaceted idea or you know, question. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, so you've captured their email address, you started to talk to them and, and you know, they are right fit because you've been, you know, t giving them a piece of content for free and helping them along the way. And now they, they are ready to buy or they're almost ready to buy. So that's the bottom of the funnel part. So what's the next step then? Uh, the bottom of the funnel content is in my opinion, the best one is case studies, like people actually using your product or service, uh, successfully, having really beautiful testimonials and case studies, especially if you have like an avatar that has a very specific problem and you know that that's like your main customer base, having a testimonial of that person is like fantastic. Because now you're speaking to, you know, 80% of your, of your customer bases. So bottom funnel stuff would be like case studies, testimonials, any kind of research, like uh, anything with any kind of empirical uh, facts always are really good. Stuff like that is what I'd recommend for bottom of funnel. How did you come up with the personas in Empire Flippers? Well, I was very lucky. It was already done when I came on board. Well. <laughs> but uh, we have uh, six buyer personas, you know, and I've expanded on them. Like I completed for, we have one person, um, newbie norm. So people who are just starting out. Uh, I wrote a 12 or 11 part blog post series that literally breaks down every single popular monetization model on, on the online business world. So AdSense, Amazon FBA, SaaS businesses, apps, you know, the whole whole nine yards. And uh, that is a that was a really popular piece for that crowd of our avatar. So, um, yeah, I have expanded our content towards each of those uh, personas and, do you and continue how, to do so. Do you know how they came up with it? Was it like from experience, the fact that they've been in the business for a while, they kind of know that customer now, it's more intuition yeah, rather than anything yeah. else? Yeah, exactly. So uh, they started off obviously with some, you know, uh, vaguely defined people and then they added more. And of course, as the business learned, learned more about them and grew, they had more details that they could add to that customer avatar. So just because you 
don't know what your customer avatar eats for lunch yet doesn't mean you can't start marketing to them, right? So uh, you should start with as detailed as possible. And then as you go forth, if it works, if you're seeing conversions, you should keep adding the more you learn to the avatar, uh, learn the nuances of who they are as much as possible, because that's only going to make your marketing more crisp, right? It speaks to them more that way. Um, you mentioned in, in the start that you wrote articles for very, very specific uh, industries and very specific uh, subjects, which is really interesting. Um, there are a lot of SaaS businesses out there, a lot of businesses in, in general that are very vertical, like very specific to a specific niche. And it seems like the trend in SaaS is going more and more towards that, more and more towards like specialized, specialized SaaS rather than generic, generalist uh, SaaS. So for, for those SaaS businesses out there who are actually struggling uh, to create good marketing that is actually interesting for people because the, the, the subject is so specific, what would be your advice to them? Well, I'd say they need to come up with more angles because almost anything can become interesting if you look at it the right angle. And uh, my proof for this is one of my favorite shows called Mad Men. <laughs> it's all about like marketing in the 60s. Like if there were anyone that's out there who had never seen it, it's like all about marketing in the 1960s. Uh, is, the main character is this guy named Don Draper. is a creative director. But he could literally sing poetry about a thing of Clorox or laundry softener. You know, <laughs> it's, like, like, it's all about coming up with angles. So if you haven't found an angle that excites your audience, yeah, you need to keep looking. Because if your product is good, that means it's actually solving a real problem. So that means there is potential to write real content that will excite people. Now, just because, it, it, you know, you, that means you might not have to write a thousand blog posts. You might only have one very specific customer avatar and maybe 12 really in-depth articles is going to be all you need uh, to get that going. But if you haven't found anyone uh, excited about your content and you know you have a really good pr a product that actually is solving a problem, you need to approach it at a different angle. So what kind of angle are we talking about here? Let's give a, a concrete example, let's say in the plumber business. Um. Okay, let me let me think about it. <laughs> Putting in the spot there. Uh, <laughs> so if you're if you're selling really high end plumbing services, uh, let's say uh, very expensive plumbing packages for whatever reason, you might not be getting very many residential people coming in, and you're targeting people on commercials and all this stuff. But what you really need to do is change your angle of who you're targeting and your marketing. You're yes, you can sell this high quality plumbing. But maybe it's not good for the residential market. We're looking for a better deal. But the industrial market, like, say, the oil field, who they need things to be good, you can probably cut your marketing budget in half by creating content that's going out specifically to those people around their world problems than these other people. So your product will solve both people's problems, right, in this example. But your product is more suited for someone else with a different you know, world, a different different concerns. So... Uh, that might be something to look into. Uh, it really depends. For example, in Empire Flippers, I wanted, an angle would be like Strategic Sally and Portfolio Paul. So those are two of our buyer personas. Portfolio Paul, he's looking to own several different portfolios of websites or uh, online businesses are diversified. So that's one angle, right? And then there's Strategic Sally, who she's not really looking to own a bunch of different businesses. She's looking to own a bunch of complementary businesses, so while they both are looking to buy businesses, they're both coming at it from very different angles. Does that make sense? Or it does. <laughs> no, no, I, it, it does. And it goes back to what we discussed before about the buyer persona. And, and, and 
you will find the best angle for your content once you found the best buyer persona. So once you found the buyer persona that struggled the most, where your solution is the best suited. And, and your example of uh, the old feed and plumbing is excellent because if, let's say, a piece of plumbing breaks down in your toilet at home, okay, it's annoying. <laughs> but right. yeah. it's you know it's not necessarily going to happen that much. It's not that used that much, and and it's unlikely. However, in an oil field, if your piece of plumbing breaks down, it, it could be a very serious thing. <laughs> it could be it could be like as we as you discussed before, it could be death or freak accidents, and could be uh, thousands and or even millions of of dollars of, of lost revenue. Definitely millions. <laughs> the island I worked on, when the island was shut down for just a day, I think it cost like one million, or no, I think it was like six hundred thousand, seven hundred thousand dollars a day of no productivity. So <laughs> I think that's, the, but I think that's a good lesson. And it sounds a little bit simplistic when we say that, but I think it's a good lesson. It's if you find this buyer persona that has a very very painful problem that your solution can solve, then focus on those first because it will be much easier to sell and to even price it at a at a higher price point because their problem is much more painful than others a absolutely uh that is totally correct you you can a lot of times charge a better price a premium price if it feels like you're having an intimate conversation with that person for those who are still out there like you know tweaking with their marketing you might be surprised who ends up being your <laughs> who ends up being your customer audience you know wouldn't it be the first time i've heard of an entrepreneur who thinks his customers a but it actually ends up being people in the e section you know something totally you never thought of would be his customer became his customer i'm not going to be able to find it now but i'm going to give you the example and i will put it in the show notes there was this business that started selling something completely different like a, a product i don't remember what a very boring product and as gifts they were giving something away in as part of the package like something very small it turned out that this very small thing was actually even more prof success, like even more successful than the, the main product they were selling. <laughs> and they ended up selling this very product then. And they're very famous. <laughs> awesome. I, oh, I don't remember. It's a very, very famous company. Anyway, we'll come up <laughs> with that in the show notes. Moving on to the future of marketing, we talk about step-by-step, step, which is, I think, really uh, interesting and powerful for, for listeners out there who want to implement it. Um, Marketing is a field that is moving very fast, especially in SaaS. SaaS is an industry that moves very fast. But I think you know the, the, the concept of marketing is, has always been the same, and we touched on it, which is understanding people so well that you can sell uh, and solve the problems they have. So what do you know about marketing today that will still be true in 10 years or 20 years? Well, the, the core principles of marketing, like what you just said, I don't think will ever change the main concept of marketing is there's about two roads you can go down, right? There's the pain and the pleasure side. Pain typically converts more because people want to be out of pain, but you can always, you know, market the pleasure side of things too, of how great your life is going to be with this thing that you're selling. So I think that is going to be the biggest core that marketing at the end of the day is just helping the right people with the right solution and making them realize like, oh yeah, of course this is the right solution. What was I thinking? <laughs> of course this is the product I'm looking for. <laughs> um, so. What do you think marketers should learn today that will help them in 10 years? Uh, psychology. Uh, you can learn all this stuff about SEO, the latest craze on how to rank or Facebook algorithms or UI design or 
you know, all this different stuff, but really none of it works without understanding psychology and good copywriting. Uh, the, speaking of that, the, the, you mentioned a book earlier. There's a book out there. It's not at all a copywriting book, but I think it's the best copywriting book I've ever read, which tends it goes back to what I was talking about, about content marketers teaching about content marketing. So there's this psychologist from Stanford, uh, Michael Sherman. He wrote this book called The Believing Brain, and it's the best book I've ever read on copywriting because it goes into like how belief is formed and it's really eye-opening. It's very interesting. It's nothing to do with copywriting, but it has everything to do with it, in, in my opinion. I had just read a copywriting book, then read that one, and just like they work together so well. <laughs> that sounds awesome. I, I've never heard of it. I'm definitely going to read it uh, pretty soon. And I completely agree with you. And, and that's a question I ask to every guest on the podcast. And yeah, psychology is is the basis of, of our job day to day. We need to understand people and psychology is a very good start. Um, so you started to, to talk about one book in particular. I wanted to ask you about other resources that you would uh, recommend to marketers in SaaS and, and digital marketers in general. Uh, so yeah, Believing Brain is great. Uh, there's a book called Web Copy That Works. Uh, I don't have my phone on me, otherwise I can uh, find it. I'll, I'll definitely email you it uh, in the show notes, but it's one of the best copywriting books I've read as well. That actually is about copywriting, but uh, uh, it has like the reason why I like it the most. Like I'm a fan of Dan Kennedy and all that stuff, but the th reason I like this book the most, which isn't written by Dan Kennedy, it's written by this really uh, really smart woman that I can't remember her name right now. But uh, they have a bunch of empirical evidence backing up what they're talking about. So they've done all these experiments. They, uh, this is back, I think, in the 90s, and then now she's updated it for web copy. I think it's just called Web Copy That Sells. I'll, I'll have to double-check it, but uh, I love that book because it's all evidence-backed, which is really not something you see very often in a marketing book. <laughs> yeah. In a world of uh, with a lot of bullshit, it's, it's good to have facts and proper facts <laughs> yeah, and to back uh, things up. Absolutely. And any podcast or author's beyond marketing that you think people should check out? I'm a huge fan of Freakonomics. I think he is like outside of Empire Flippers, of course. <laughs> you know, biased. And, uh, I think Freakonomics is like one of the best podcasts out there because, again, it's usually very empirical, based. Uh, they'll run their own experiments or they'll dive really hardcore into research and just gets you thinking critically about weird things, which puts you in a really creative mode. And I think that's one of the biggest things that marketers need to really game. They don't need to uh, brush up on Facebook marketing as much as game up on their creativity. Um, and outside of outside of those three things, uh, which is all, I, I would also recommend reading fiction because that really helps you distance yourself from the problem. A lot of people they get stuck in a loop of business books and all the business books say the exact same thing. <laughs> so you, know, you got to step out of the problem sometimes to really solve the problem. So I, I, I'm a big fiction fan. I also write fiction. So <laughs> do you, I do. Yeah. I'm a big, uh, I'm a lover of literature, man. So that's uh, I, I'm a, just a prolific writer in business and fiction. <laughs> but, uh, Elon Musk said the same thing about science fiction in particular. He read so many books when he was young about science fiction and, and it literally gave him the idea of changing the world the way he's doing it at the minute. So I think you, we should take your advice and, and read more. And I'm definitely guilty of, that, uh, guilty of that. I tend to read a lot about business and forget that it's not all about business. And sometimes you read books or, or, or watch good movies that are not about business whatsoever, but that's, you know, triggers some things in your mind. Yeah. yeah. 
there's something to think about in on a copywriting perspective. If you feel empathy through, uh, like you have feelings for the character in this book, that means you're literally growing your ability to have empathy because you're you have feelings for a made up person, right? So it just helps you get into the different mindsets and perceptions, like, and it's entertaining. So it, it you know it doesn't feel like work. <laughs> no, I love that. No, I love that. It's it's very good advice. Uh, it's very very good advice. Right. So you've been Greg. You've been really great. Uh, a lot of great advice. A lot of good step by step type of advice as well. So where can listeners connect with you? Hear more from you? Oh, I'm uh, as everyone out there knows the content manager for Empire Flippers. So if you want to contact me, you guys can reach out to me at Greg at EmpireFlippers.com. I'm always writing content on the blog. If you guys have any kind of questions, feel more than free to reach out to me. I'd love to talk about this stuff. And hopefully I gave you guys some good stuff. Well, you definitely did. I can guarantee that. So Greg, thank you so much once again. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, you too, man. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email lists uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a, as a one-to-one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. We, I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get. And I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests. And perhaps I can also... Uh, have you on the show uh, someday so don't be afraid to subscribe I'm not going to spam you and you can always unsubscribe for sure if you wish the second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback we know that this show is not perfect yet and we always uh, can improve so you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com good or bad please feel free to send me an email and the last thing I like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode please share it to your friends your colleagues or whoever might like it and also please review it on itunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast because if you leave us a five-star review it means that more people will be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker so thank you so much once again and au revoir That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. 
Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.